Building the fashion businesses of the future together. Welcome to the future of fashion business. The future of fashion business is about helping aspiring fashion entrepreneurs and designers start their own successful fashion brands by learning from the best, most experienced people in the industry. I am your host, Esteban Julian. For more advice and to learn more about how I started my own fashion brand, make sure you follow my fashion journey on YouTube at Esteban Julian. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Future of Fashion Business. I am your host, Esteban Julian. And on this week's episode, I sat down with branding expert, entrepreneur, and executive, Loic Molina. Now, this was this episode that was all about branding. And interestingly enough, it, w- it had a really interesting turn to it at the end of the episode. But that said, this is going to take you into one of you know the little subtleties in the industry of things that you might not even expect were really really important. You know, a lot of people overlook the sort of things. Packaging is a perfect example. But having somebody like Loic explain exactly what branding is at this specific moment in time, the importance of branding and how to identify and adapt to what the customer is actually looking for uh, in a brand. And not only that, how do you express those subtleties and how do you express what they actually want through subtleties like packaging? And most importantly, how does this all relate to sustainability? It sounds like it's all over the place, right? But trust me, everything is interconnected. That said, let's get to this week's episode. Awesome. Welcome to the future of fashion business, Loic. I know you're probably uh, very nervous about doing this. Yeah. Um, hi. Uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. No worries. I'm happy to have this conversation, to be honest, and to get involved into this kind of conversation. So I'm more than happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. And you know, I actually asked, said that sarcastically because I think funny enough, uh, people when, I mean, I have met a couple of people that get nervous on podcast episodes, but I think the, the person that gets the most nervous is me. <laughs> you know, even though I have the, all of this experience, I, there's, I still, I still, I still struggle with some episodes like that before I actually jump in. I'm like, man, what am I going to talk about today? You know, or sometimes I get people that their expertise is just so far out of what I understand that I'm like, am I even going to be able to have like a, like a decent conversation with this person and not sound like, I don't know, like a kindergarten student or something, you know? Uh, but I'm glad we're here. Like uh, very, very interesting times. Uh, very interesting times to be having recording this episode, of course. Uh, are you, how are you going through this whole COVID thing? Are you, are you guys working from home? Are you guys staying in the office? How, how does it work? Because you guys are, are cons- a consulting base, right? So I'm, I'm guessing most of your job is it's pretty yeah, doable. So, yeah, so the, the, to be honest, the working from home situation is not so much of a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been because I've, I've been quite used to work remotely. Um, so I'm, I'm very comfortable to this way of working. And, and, and so are all my collaborators that are either here or in, in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this hasn't been so much of an issue. The main issue is how do we deal with the family life going on in the same time with kids mm-hmm. at home? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just this kind of time that is a bit amputated. Otherwise, um, working from home is, is kind of enjoyable. And I think that most people get to this moment where they kind of say, oh, I'll, I'd like to keep on, on doing this more afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of enjoyable. It's, 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 it's more like it's very enjoyable, especially after you work like a corporate job or something, which is actually something interesting that you just mentioned that because um, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see what happens when people all of a sudden start working from home, you know, they start appreciating what it means to, you know, uh, be maybe close to your family while you're working and having just having that extra freedom uh, to then going back to you know, the corporate lifestyle. It's going to be very interesting to see that. Uh, 
uh, definitely happening. But anyway, like, uh, let's dive into the episode. I usually like to start off my episodes by asking a little bit more about uh, my guests and what their story has been like. And yeah, so if, if you could just give us a, and feel free to dive as deeply as you can in, in, in what your story has been. I think that it's very important for people to learn from other people's stories. And most importantly, I think it's very easy uh, it's very important for people to be able to relate because sometimes, you know, I have guests like yourself that have years of experience in the industry. Uh, I speak with people that are very high up in the corporate ladder. So, you know, it's, it's hard for, you know, people that are starting out to really think it's even a possibility to get where, you know, to the positions that you guys are at. So to listen how, you know, everybody starts from the same place. Everybody has sort of similar challenges. Uh, people listening to that, I think it just makes everything a lot easier. So yeah. Uh, I've talked enough of in this episode. You just can you give us a little bit more of, of what your background was like and what your story has been like? Sure. Um, so I'm I'm French, so it's the, all, all starts in, in in Paris, basically, where um, I studied first business and marketing, and I started to work for LVMH, which is uh, which has been um, uh, quite a crucial company for me all through my career. Mm-hmm. So I started to work with them on the wine and spirit side uh, in the French markets, doing. Um, brand management, basically, mm-hmm. uh, for, for, for spirits for them. I spent like six years with them in France. And then all through, all through those few years, the main things I was interested in was the creativity of things. Mm-hmm. So planning to kind of get um, jumping into the product development part, which was what I was quite keen on. And then all the way through um, the, the first few years, I was, yeah, I, I was really attracted by that. So basically after six years, because it. Yeah, I kind of felt like that I just wanted to do and dedicate myself to the creativity side. I just uh, uh, quit my job and joined like uh, three other business partners to set up a company that was called Chic, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, a brand activation and, and brand content company for luxury brands that mm-hmm. I've joined. Um, I moved to London at the same time. Uh, so I was in charge of the London office and my business partners were based in Paris. Mm-hmm. And then we've started working like that a lot for wine and spirit brands, uh, beauty brands, um, accessory brands, jewelry brands, a little bit of fashion, but not too much back, back in the days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, we've grown quite quickly, uh, opening an office in Singapore, another one in, in Dubai, and then another one in New York. Mm-hmm. Quite an interesting way of working because we had teams spread across all these uh, different uh, cities, which was which is why I was saying that I was quite used to, to work remotely, basically. Mm-hmm. We had, because my... Yeah, the creative team was pleated across all these, all these different cities just to make sure that we had the same understanding of all these different key markets for the luxury industry. Sure. And that we had the same level of uh, mm. services for all these different uh, markets, basically. Mm. Um, I spent 10, I, I, I've said 10, year, 10 years with Chic, sorry. Um, and then five years where I was mainly uh, in charge of the uh, the UK office and then the Singapore office, spending quite a lot of time in Singapore as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after five years, basically the idea was to um, take on all the creative side, which was basically what I was very interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so take on all the creative side for the, the, the four or five different offices. And then my business partner, Aurélie, uh, uh, took on all the strategy and then the commercial part of the, of the management. Sure. So. Um, the five other years I was dedicated to creative team with three creative team, one doing brand content, mm-hmm. one doing um, uh, brand identity, uh, and the other one uh, doing brand um, activation and, and merchandising spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, so basically all through those 10 years, worked a lot with LVMH, with a lot of different companies, um, and, then, um, and then had the chance to have quite a few amazing projects that I've been working on back in the days uh, for, for champagne brands or for cosmetic brands that were basically aiming at, at reinventing completely the way we were thinking about packaging and product offer to make it completely sustainable and much more conscious in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had to work and come up with new aesthetics that make um, uh, the luxury way of doing packaging much more sustainable. Sure. Uh, and I got very excited about that. Um, and so was Aurélie, my business partner back in the days. Um, and then for different reasons that I'm not, I'm not going to spend too much time on, we, we've decided to leave uh, Chic at the end of 2018 mm-hmm. um, to, uh, to, to, to kind of embark on a new journey and a new venture. Okay. Um, so yes, yeah, so I took a whole year to prepare for the, for the new company. Um, for, for that year, I did quite deep dive consulting mission for LVMH, one for uh, a, a shirt, uh, a shirt industry, sh- sorry, a shirt company called Pink Shirt Maker based in London, sure. where I took on the, 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 the brand image director role for six months. Um, and then another one for Remova, uh, the suitcase uh, brand and travel brand, for, uh, accessory brand for uh, from LVMH as well uh, in Paris for, for a few months as well. And then we've launched officially beginning of January, our new agency, which is called Good People Wonder, and that is basically uh, providing uh, branding uh, and, and, and brand packaging design services uh, on the simple con- um, uh, belief that beautiful is no longer enough for luxury world, and now anything that we do needs to have a positive impact on the world, being either social, economical, or of course, environmental. So mm-hmm. basically we're dedicated, uh, we're dedicating ourselves to all these um, um, definition of new brand purposes for, for luxury brands mm-hmm. and helping them to define their new aesthetics mm-hmm. uh, to, 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 to kind of contribute to the, uh, to the rebirth of uh, conscious luxury, basically. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And this is where I'm at at the moment. Awesome, wow. I mean, a lot of questions that I want to ask through that. Uh, through that story. I mean, there was so many different interesting transitions. Uh, I guess the first thing that I want to ask you is when you finished working at uh, Moe, in particular, you know, wines and spirits section of LVMH and you transition into the, your, your own entrepreneurial venture. Uh, so you said you were more focused on brand uh, and image when you were working back in the LVMH and then you slowly start transition to a more creative focused role. But how was that transition from, uh, did, did, did your background sort of give you a solid, uh, point to start off and then to be able, you know, to be able to progressively, uh, develop as somebody that specializes in creativity or was it a very rough and big learning curve? Um, it was not a rough, it, it was a big learning curve for sure. Um, so my, 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 my everyday job for the six years at LVMH was involving quite a lot of creativity. So working with a lot of agencies. Mm-hmm. So basically I knew what I was stepping my foot on. Um, and the thing I'm saying is that I've been quite lucky in the fact that I was not on my own. So I was not launching my business on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then basically my business partner were coming from were closer to the agency world. They knew a bit more than I was what they were doing. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so I've been quite lucky in that sense. Um, and, uh, and then for the rest, I just learned all the way along, uh, along all those 
design team that was working with me, I could help them with a very good brand uh, understanding uh, mm-hmm. and, and a good understanding of different industry as well. Um, so that was definitely a, a plus on my side. And, and then, yeah, I spent my days working deep diving in, in creative brief for brands, which I still to that day enjoy uh, uh, deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically when you're on the marketing side, this creative work is basically, I don't know, for me, uh, but my experience was 10 or 20% of my days. The rest was more managing the brand daily work on the financials mm-hmm. and PNL stuff. And then having this opportunity of deep diving with a whole team of graphic designer, product designer, um, art directors and deep diving in something, uh, to come up with like amazing story, amazing aesthetics, all this kind of stuff got me really, really excited. And mm-hmm. I just, I first got um, a huge sensibility for product design. Mm-hmm. It, it really depends because in those creativity world, you, you, you have all, uh, yeah, a whole uh, bunch of different skills uh, and skill sets. Mm-hmm. And the one that got um, the more natural for me was product design. I, I you know I had this very, uh, good understanding of the 3D world mm-hmm. and then a good sense of, of packaging design and bottle design and, and, and accessory design. So basically it was the easiest one and the one I took on um, the first. And then it took me a bit more time to kind of understand mm-hmm. key things about branding, graphic design and, mm-hmm. and art direction, photography, all this kind of stuff. So I just, I just learned along the way. But mm-hmm. I've been lucky enough to always have people with me, expert in that field that could, that could, help and, and teach me things. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And yeah, and that, that makes perfect sense because then from then from, you know, specializing in product packaging, et cetera, the transition to doing something, you know, more sustainable was quite easy, right? Because I mean, you can't have one without the other at this point. It, it, it was, yeah. So, so it was basically, it's been like for the maybe past five or six years, we, we never had any brief that was not mentioning sustainability as one of the things that needs to be ticked uh, um, when we work on a packaging thing. Uh-huh. Um, but on the other hand, um, real sustainable uh, packaging um, require uh, patience, require a long, a long development, uh, research and development lead. You, you can't come up with a new material for a packaging Mm-hmm. Uh, and expect it to be um, to be working in like in, in, in a six month lead time that you would do if you were using like a normal a normal material. Sure. Um, so working. So it, one of the things I'm quite grateful of starting from scratch a new company is basically we can dedicate ourselves to this kind of project. Once you have a company that is slightly bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, because Chic was like seventy five people, um, and then you you, you can't you can't have the luxury of, of picking your project. So one, once a project come on board, I, I was lucky because I checked all the projects were really exciting. But sure. once you have a project come on board that was not fully uh, sustainable as a principle, the matter of principle, mm-hmm. you couldn't really say, no, I'm not going to do it because blah, blah, blah. Because there's quite a lot of people behind that that needs to, to, to kind of, of work. Of course. So starting from scratch all over again, being able to say, okay, this is what we want to do. And then we want to get involved in project where the client on the other side is really convinced that he needs to change the way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah. Uh, so, so this is one thing. And then the other reason why it's not so easy to jump 
onto the sustainable packaging position uh, position for for an agency is basically a lot of uh, brands who are coming to us saying that are you real eco designers mm-hmm. um, which which is a great question but basically i don't think there's such things as uh, eco designer today mm-hmm. uh, what what we have is we have a team of collaborators that are passionate about sustainability and mm-hmm. are willing to do uh, to do things uh, the best way we can uh, for for those reasons, uh, and we have all the bunch of people that are very curious about new material, all, always out there to find new technology and new things. Mm-hmm. So dedicated our full skill set to do sustainable designs, mm-hmm. uh, but they haven't trained in in sustainable uh, training schools because there's no such things. Sure. Uh, so so this this is. But, but at the moment where you need to kind of launch your business and you need credentials for brands to say, we're doing eco design uh, uh, packaging. Mm-hmm. No, we're doing, we're, we're doing brand world and packaging that comes out of it that are led by the strong willingness to do good and not only to do beautiful, mm-hmm. which, is, which is the main thing. Yeah, that's very interesting. And did you come, or I guess what, what I want to ask you in, in a more simpler way is, uh, have you noticed, because I mean, you've, you've been through, you've been doing that. And more specifically, when you started Chic, it was, it was almost around 10 years ago, right? Yes. So you managed to see, I mean, this whole industry transformation pull off very, very closely. And I'm interested if, if you noticed, because obviously the environment changed massively, but do the same principles that worked, you know, 10 years ago when it comes to branding work today, just it's, it's a matter of learning to apply those principles in a different environment. It, it has changed dramatically over those 10, 12 years. Um, it, 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 it has, um, there's still things when it comes to branding, there's still, and because we're talking about the luxury industry, um, most of those strong brand um, brand design are quite timeless. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that it's dramatically changing. What What is changing the most? It's basically at the very back, yeah, in the, the it's just after 2000 and before yeah, 2010 maybe, we were still in a luxury world that was quite status-driven and okay. something that didn't need to be, to be seen and perceived as as pricey and as luxurious. Mm-hmm. And then we've moved, when I started working on that, we moved away from that very, very, very quickly. And so we taking two different directions, one which was actually one, one main direction, which is all about discernment and craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had another decade where we were to- mainly talking about that, saying that, the, yeah, the skill set behind the brand, the way it's, it's made and the way it's crafted to perfection and all these kind of things which mm-hmm. was the most interesting part for the luxury world. Uh-huh. And again, for me, the new transition uh, is, I'm not saying that craftsmanship is no longer interesting and no longer important. It is, but it's kind of uh, taken for granted in the, in, in the luxury industry. Of course. And now what- It's what, a standard. Exactly, it's a standard. So we need to keep up with that for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, but now when we talk about that, this is the brand engagement and the brand's impact on the world that is- expected we have there's quite a few data about that and it, it was true of course before the covid situation it, it's 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 made even even truer now it's it's basically people expect um expect brands to have 
positive impact on the world. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't expect them to be perfect. They don't expect them to, to save the world, but they expect them to have a positive impact, again, either on either from a, a, an environmental perspective, uh, where we see the lead of brands such as Patagonia who are doing amazing things and, 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 and get a strong traction behind it, mm -hmm. or having an impact that is more at a social level or at an economical level uh, around the whole the made in France, made in UK, made in Europe, or made wherever we are in the world, uh, which is one thing about women empowerment for the brands, but basically mm -hmm. all those brands stand for something. Sure. And a brand that do stand for something that is more than, than status or craftsmanship uh, are, are the brands that are the most future-proof, I would say. Mm -hmm. so, so yes, that's quite, that's quite a big, a big, a big uh, shift. Mm -hmm. But I'm truly convinced that, that it's, it's the most exciting one. Amazing. Uh, so pretty much the, 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 per, the perception of value of luxury changed. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess so. It, it, mm -hmm. and it's it, so basically there's some this part that is very close to, to very specific to the luxury world. So mm -hmm. because 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 the luxury world is the kind of master of desirability, of course, uh, of value, of perception, exactly of, yeah. of, of 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 value creation, and mm -hmm. uh, it's I think they're even more than any other industry expected to be perfect and lead the way to sustainability and into having positive impact because they can afford it in, 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 in the way because yeah, the they have the profits, <laughs> profits for it. That's what you pay for pretty much. Exactly. And because this is, this is product that you buy with a strong engagement, you, you mm -hmm. buy something that you truly care for and then you expect to, to keep for decades. So you want to know everything about it. You want to know why it's been done this why, why it's, it's use this material who, who made it just thinking about all this uh, who made my clothes uh, trends that that's that's crucial so for the luxury world it's very it's very important mm -hmm. uh, yeah amazing wow that's so so interesting and what are the biggest challenges in, in adapting to this because i mean a luxury brand is something that is very very delicate uh so i mean introducing new uh i guess new approaches or or new changes to their brand must be a very, very difficult process that might have uh, very high risk uh, sort of involved to it. I guess what I want to ask you is what, what do you think are the biggest challenges that the luxury brands have adapting to this new, uh, uh, I guess, branding issue or, or branding uh, period? So when it comes to pure branding or pure packaging, the, the key thing is uh, when we think about the, the, the share that the gifting uh, experiences is part of the, of the overall um, uh, luxury world, mm -hmm. um, having to reduce the footprint of a product while keeping the desirability and the whole gifting experience quite, uh, quite sexy around mm -hmm. it is quite of a challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, is Either we do manage to engage with consumer enough that we can talk about all the reason why a packaging has lost maybe 50% of its size, but it's, mm -hmm. it's the same thing. Uh, one example I could give, we've been, we've been involved in the, in the, in the rebranding of, uh, of the prestige range of Orchidée Imperial, which is a, mm -hmm. a cosmetic range from Guerlain. And basically one of the, the key thing was to, 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 to reduce the, the, the packaging volume by more than 50% mm -hmm. uh, while still making sure that the value perception was the same and that the consumer didn't expect 
the, the, the volume of the cream inside reduces by 50% as well. Of course. Uh, so all these kind of things. How can you reduce the footprint while improving and increasing the, 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 the value perception of it uh, mm -hmm. is, is one of the biggest challenge. But, uh, but again, uh, I'm, I'm one of those that were convinced by doing this in a very um, sophisticated way, you're, you're increasing the, the, the modernity and the value perception of it. You just, mm -hmm. you just need to catch the opportunity of explaining yourself to the consumer. And that we know that it's not always easy because specifically when stores are closed and then everything happens online, um, having well, yeah. the ability to tell, to tell all the story on, on the packaging that you have to reduce mm -hmm. uh, is, is not always easy. Um, but yeah. But again, the conversation around, around brands are, are mostly running around this. So yeah. So to, to brands who have been actively talking about the reason why their packaging has gone different and, and less ostentatious uh, are, Oh, I don't think I've, I've been suffering from that at all. I haven't heard that so far. But yeah, so far, yeah go on. No, so far we haven't seen any brand deciding to kind of slim down the packaging and, and, coming, and, and coming back the other way a few years after. Mm -hmm. It hasn't happened. So, so it, it, it's, it's worth questioning it for sure. Yeah, so there's not enough data proving if it works or not. I mean, it's, it's just purely based on intuition and what the market actually wants. Yeah, and it, uh -huh. and I think it's very different from one industry to to another. And I think there's not regarding having data. There's not enough cases yet, and and the luxury world is not the one that is putting the most money on research on, on 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 the research and those data because they don't really they're not very attached to data in general compared to 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 to, to mass consumption things. But um, so yeah, we don't have much data about that, but. Um, I'm think, I have another situation in mind I'm thinking about is we've been working for, for a brand, a champion brand that is challenging the outer packaging as well. So it's kind of the same story. But today, when you buy a prestige wine or a prestige champagne, it comes in a case. Uh, it always comes in a case. And, and so there's been, there's been a lot of work done around those cases and, and, and thinking about how um, we can reduce the number of material, we can reduce the weight, we can make sure that it's recyclable, at least, if not compostable, uh, mm -hmm. we can make sure. Yeah. I know there's all this kind of thing that we can think about. Mm -hmm. uh, and then one of, one of the brands that we have, we, we've been working on is kind of challenging, challenging the outer box to, to slim it down to something that is like nine times lighter mm -hmm. um, and that truly... 10 times more beautiful than what they had before. I think I, I'm, I'm convinced by that. Um, but of course today, so it's going to be launched this year and, and the brand is quite anxious about the, about removing out the packaging uh, to mm -hmm. their bottle and the, and the prestige champagne. So mm -hmm. they're all like um, fully aware that there's a risk there. They will need to explain themselves and, and we'll see as, how it's perceived. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And do you have any uh, particular brands uh, in, in mind that, you know, are doing this very well, just as a, as a point of reference, because I think packaging is one of those things that people don't really, I think people take for granted when it comes to the importance of, you know, branding uh, It's one of those things that are so subconsciously ingrained into human beings that you don't really notice that the importance, you know, when somebody, when you see somebody walking around with a, with Alexander McQueen bag, or when you, when you finally buy that luxury item and it, and, and you, you feel and you see the, the package that it includes, you, you don't really, you take, I, I feel you sort of take a granted that experience. Um, 
So do you have any, a couple of examples as a point of reference that are, you know, maybe a couple of companies, either startups or just established brands are doing this really, really well? I, so, so basically the, the, I can, I can put the brand I, um, I was mentioning, which is Ruinard Champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've, their engagement towards reducing their waste is, is huge, is massive. Mm-hmm. And what they, what they've achieved since like 2012 when they started is massive. So mm-hmm. I think that they've been few teasers that have come out about this new pack that hasn't come out, but basically I think there's a great example. And in, in, in the, in the champagne world, I think there's, the most advanced one that I can't think of anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, uh, brand packaging that are doing, I think the great thing is about how startups kind of lead the way in that. So there's, there's plenty sure. of brands that are very um, are responsible in the way they do uh, their packaging or their packaging things. I think there's new, one of the new way we see things as well is how they transform e-com packaging, which are usually like very um, uh, robust cardboard and rough uh, pack that we just use to to send through um, another packaging inside. Mm-hmm. And basically, when you think about all these uh, uh, e-commerce startups that have been trying to 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 to, um, to elevate the whole experience of the e-commerce, mm-hmm. now we have great out of box that becomes like packaging and that replaced the actual packaging that was inside. So I think that this is one of the, so fashion is really, is, is really onto that. All, all startup about apparel and clothing is, uh, are into that. I mm-hmm. think it's coming down to, uh, um, to cosmetics and spirits and all the other brands saying that, okay, if we have an outer box, it needs to be useful. So it needs to allow us to kind of send it, send it through the post. Mm-hmm. And, at le- and I, I think that against those startups are leading the way. And again, all the, the more established brands are considering it, but uh, giving you an example of an established brand that have already achieved it, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't have one at the top of my mind uh, because there's few of those I'm thinking of, I'm working with them at the moment and I can't give them away. Sure, sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Amazing. That's amazing. And well, how do you think, uh, you know, the whole, this whole COVID outbreak has sort of influenced this process? Do you think businesses are paying more attention to it or they are sort of put it on the side due to this whole pandemic issue? No, no, I, th- I think it's going to become even more important. Uh, I think it's just an acceleration of all this. What we've seen is when it's come to all the ethical or the positive impact things, um, I think all the companies and all the brands had to find their statement and where they stand compared to, 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 to the whole situation. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and we've realized how much it was not clear for everyone. Where do they stand? Do mm-hmm. I have to, I don't know, do I have to produce hand sanitizer? Do I have to produce like the blues things or do I have to, to support my local community or do I, I don't know, or do we, do we, do I need to talk about the whole environment in, in this situation or do we keep the conversation for later? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was interesting. We've seen big group that have been very reactive at the corporate level to take things uh, and to help governments, uh, either financially, either by producing things that were missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then brands, you can see that brands are just like, okay, what do we do? Do we communicate or should we stay silent? Or what do we talk about? Should we produce mm-hmm. something? I don't know. And I think that this all um, thinking behind the posture that they had to to take on this kind of situation made them feel like, okay, we were not completely ready because all the brands don't exactly know where do they stand in terms of social or environmental purpose. 
So I think that is going to be very interesting for, 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 the, for the months after that. And again, again, now when we talk with our clients, uh, mm-hmm. even if the business is very, very slow, uh, uh, as for most people in, in specific communication, but, um, we have amazing conversation with all our clients because they're all ready and willing to kind of innovate, change the way they do things and make sure they are aligned with their values and, and, and everything. So it's, it's very, very interesting. Awesome. And it's also going to open up a lot more opportunity for those startup brands, right? Because at the end of the day, those are the people that can, you know, get those changes done quickly, know who they are from the very beginning, understand the current positions of the marketplace and how they fit into it. While bigger brands have, I mean, it's not that they don't have the capabilities to do so, of course that they do, but it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, it's, it's much more complicated for them. It, it represents a bigger investment, a bigger risk as well. So Longer time uh, periods. Longer time period, exactly. They can't just remove and launch something from one day to another. There's more people around the table, which makes things more complicated as well. Mm-hmm. But I think what, what startups are doing brilliantly uh, is they're they, 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 they leading the way to all innovation. All the, you know, I was mentioning earlier that launching a new material on the packaging things take a um, uh, few years, um, mm-hmm. if not more. Uh, wow. But at least all those innovations are, are, are coming to life thanks to the, all those startups that are happy to, to test things and are happy to, to see how it works. And so all this kind of research and development is done by those. And then okay. it's, it's going to be much easier for luxury brands to adopt some of those technology at a larger scale because it's been done at a small scale. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to see how, because this is one of the things we want to do with, with, with my company, Good People Wonder, is really to, to, to put together around the table established brand with, uh, startups because both of, of them have to learn from the other mm-hmm. and, and everyone is very excited by by each other's role uh, so I think it's quite it's quite interesting to put them together and think about uh, sustainability and friend engagement and impact uh, but all together around the same table amazing yeah and I mean that that's a winning formula right there I mean I know we can't really talk specifically about, about LVMH but if you if you analyze the company from an external an external point of view of course that sort of mixture is exactly what has gotten them to the point that they're at it's it, LVMH is not an it is an established company but the amount of startup influence that is involved in that company is really what what gets them to the place that they're at so I 100% agree with you that being able to sort of find a mixture between, you know, a startup philosophy and an established company and finding ways that can either work together or work off of each other and learn from each other is something that's going to be extremely, extremely productive. Yeah, definitely. So a lot, a lot of those companies have now um, uh, startup um, that are actually part of the whole company and, and, and they can learn from that very, very easily. But, but the number of startup at the moment we have is, is so exciting. And, mm-hmm. and they're so agile. Um, they're so at risk at the same time. They're the ones suffering the, the, the most from, from this COVID situation. So hopefully they're going to find people to support them. Sure. Uh, but, but yeah, the agility of those brands are, are just amazing. Awesome. Now, as a, as a, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a startup brand, uh, I mean, it's, it's difficult 
it's difficult enough to learn how to identify these opportunities, you know, because there's so many different factors that you have to be worrying about if you're starting a brand or if you're working for a company or whatever, you know, uh, you, for example, you specialize in branding, you specialize in packaging. Uh, but somebody that's starting out, you know, they have to focus on, you know, the basics product, how to market that product, customer, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you think would be the most productive thing for people to be sort of looking out for to be able to, of course, not understand these things deeply or have an expertise in them, but at least learn how, how to identify those sort of opportunities. Cause I mean, based on everything that you've, you've seen, I've noticed that this is a very close relationship between, you know, understanding your brand, understanding what the market wants, understanding, of course, uh, packaging, but also understanding or being aware of up and coming technologies that might affect uh, the other sort of areas. Yeah, uh, just just to make sure I understand properly. So yeah, for 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 um, a startup that wants to launch a new brand or a new service or anything, I don't know. Uh, for for me, the key thing is if there is a key, uh, if there is a, a recipe for that, but uh, is just to 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 identify what you're good at and what you love doing, which is the, the main thing, and just then cross it over with what the the, the world needs. So I, and, 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 and that's very wide, that's a very mm -hmm. widespread because it, in, in that it covers from a market perspective, from, from a market space perspective. So is there a market for this? Of course. And how many, how many actors are in there and how many, what the size of the prize and all this kind of stuff, but it's much bigger than this is what the world needs. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, in general, which is, uh, positive contribution again, we get back to that. So I think that if you get those things that you have, a, you have a product that is, that has demand for it, then you have a purpose as, as a human being and as, as an entrepreneur, you have a purpose that do, do make sense mm -hmm. uh, for the world and for the industry. And then you do something that you love and that you are good at because it's very important. Uh, then, then the chances for success are, are, are the greatest, um, which is, yeah. Uh, this, but this is this is a bit of a, of the old-fashioned way of of of, uh, of launching a brand because there's this whole other way of 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 the streets where trends or sure. basically a lot of brands have been launched by um, a, a fully digital influencer strategy that is basically building up a community and then and getting at, telling out people there about it. Which is very different. I'm not. I, I don't. I'm not very relevant in this world. Uh, sure. But when it comes to product. Uh, yeah. I think that this is what I, I would consider. Amazing. No, that was a great response to a very broad question that I asked. I guess that was, that was exactly what I wanted to ask you was just simply how can people starting out learn how to identify things that matter currently while at the same time being able to focus on, you know, the important things, as you said, product, et cetera. And you answered it perfectly by saying, just, just look at what the world, what's going on in the world, man. What people, what do people want and how do you fit into that? And if you don't fit into that, how can you fit into that into the future? You know, so that was, that was really cool. Uh, before we wrap everything up, like you mentioned something that it's going to just made a question pop up in my mind that might be completely relevant to everything that we've been talking about. But from your perspective, uh, how, and, and you talked about the difference between street fur and luxury. And, and I think that's a very interesting sort of topic. It's been for the last couple of years, but what's your take on, where that thing's going. Do you think it was just sort of like a fad do you th or do you think that 
the principles that you mentioned, the traditional principles of starting a brand are the ones that are going to outrun, you know, sort of that streetwear culture's online approach? Um, I don't know, because behind the streetwear uh, trend, there's this old community thing that is not going to go anytime soon. Sure. The community is still crucial and very important. And basically, uh, the community is built on, on, on shared values that can shift from one value to another. But, but basically, and again, all these brand engagement things we've been talking about depend on those community to kind of take it on and, 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 and move away. We, we see a lot of brands actually from streetwear brands that are very, very, that have a very strong positive impact on the world. I'm, I'm thinking about the Pangaya or the, there's, there's quite a few brands, even, even working closely with LVMH, so I can't remember this name, but um, it's, it's a streetwear brand that is really engaged and involved in, in mental health issues. Oh, and, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who they are. Uh, what's their name? Um, yeah, I can't I remember. Yeah. The name, but, but I think what they're doing is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And, and again, they've managed to create an amazing uh, community and get people really excited about the brand behind that. So... On, on this sort, I think the, the, the trends and, and, and all these kind of digital capabilities will make this even more sustainable in the long run, and it's still going to work that way. Uh, regarding the streetwear style and trend at the moment, I have, I, I'm, I'm not an expert at all. I just recall sure. like, hearing Virgil Abloh saying that even him that has, has been building this whole thing uh, uh, around that is, is kind of doubting it's going to last long uh, because the last thing we need is another pair of trainer, another hoodie. Sure. Um, but um, so quite interesting to see what's going to come out. But basically what is for sure is that the longevity, durability of, of the clothing and the, the luxury pieces we're buying is going to be crucial. So does it mean that it's going to go towards vintage purchasing or does it mean that it's going to go towards um, uh, upcycling uh, luxury pieces with a new take on it? I don't know, but there's, some interesting things out there for sure. Awesome. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to get your quick opinion. I, I know you're not a streetwear expert or anything, but I think it's, it's also interesting to hear it from people with your sort of background and from your perspective. Uh, before we wrap everything up, Loic, there's usually one last question that I ask all of my guests. And I might make that question a little bit different for you. Uh, it's going to be a tough question. So brace yourself. If you have to take a couple of seconds to think about it, it's perfectly fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, and I guess the last question that I want to make you specifically, which is different to the other ones that I've asked before is how, how do you define creativity? Um, that's a good one. Um, how, how do I define creativity? I think mm, I don't know. I will come back to the very, very basic. Basically, I think creativity is make something in a different way, something different. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I would <laughs> I say that creativity. That is just, <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky one. Uh, what is my everyday business? <laughs> no, that's um, awesome, and that's the point because I mean, you, sometimes the simplest of questions require the most, you know, the deepest of answers, you know, and and and. Um, so, it's always interesting. I like to do it as an exercise, both for myself, uh, for also my guests, uh, and then my listeners, because I think that those type of questions are usually the ones that 
uh, give out the, the most interesting of answers. But we'll put that on hold. All right, I'll give you I'll give you a break on that one. And I guess the last question that I want to ask you then is what would be the best piece of advice that you'd give yourself and why if you had to go back to, you know, back when you were starting in your career? Um, I would say do what you like and, and, and trust your instinct, mm-hmm. um, basically. And, 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 and the main reason is because I'm, I'm now having a, a, a highly creative role while I don't have an academic creative background. Sure. Um, so it was, it was not easy to feel confident I could make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I've been quite uh, lucky that it, it turned up that way, but I think I could have made it quicker and, and stronger if I had believed in myself a bit, a bit uh, stronger at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like, okay, I need to prove myself. I'd get slowly yeah. and then listen a, lo- a lot to uh, all sorts of people, which was great. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I think that, that that would be it. And I think it actually links back to the question you asked before about, um, uh, about creativity. Um, I, I wouldn't make it a whole universal approach of, of the definition of creativity, but I think one thing that we do um, uh, with, with my business partner, Aurélie, and, and, and then all the collaborator, what, one thing we do is that because of my own experience and the fact that I'm not a designer, but I'm, I'm working every day as a, with a team of designers to design things, uh, I think we've been very uh, supporting of the fact that everyone in our team uh, feels free to have its built mm-hmm. uh, on any kind of design and creative matter. And everyone is very fully aware. In, in a lot of agency, you would never see an art director taking the point of a project manager, I don't know, because there's basically everyone has his role and every, everyone should stay in, in this field. Yeah, everything's uh, by the book. It, exactly. And this is not at all the way we're working. And it's been, it's been a, a real pleasure in the everyday life to have everyone working together and everyone feeling very comfortable to give inputs being either creative artistic or any reference or anything and then so i think it gives us a strong take on creativity because we have people coming coming up with ideas that don't have the the barrier of of the of of the technical skills required to do it Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's actually a challenge for everyone and it's, 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 it makes it pleasurable and it makes it a bit disruptive in a way. So Amazing. I think this is, yeah. Wow. You see, you answer both questions greatly. And that's why, that's why I asked the first one, Luke. You see, everything was pre-planned to get that answer. Uh, <laughs> well, other than, if, if people are interested in getting in touch with, you know, finding a little bit more about what you guys do at Good People Wonder, uh, how do they get in touch with you? What's the easiest way to do, to do that? So, so there's, I think, so on the website, goodpeoplewonder.com, there's, um, all our details, so mine and Aurelie's ones with our uh, yeah, phone number and email address, so it's very easy. Otherwise, LinkedIn, Instagram, we're both on there. Um, so, yeah. So, and any of those is an easy way to, 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 to catch us. So Aurelie's in Paris, I'm in London, and mm-hmm. uh, at the moment we cover those two, two countries, but we've been working in New York a little bit, so we have a hand in the, in the US as well. Sure. Awesome, Luke. Well, thank you very much for the chat today. It was a very, very, very interesting chat. Uh, definitely took a lot of different turns, but I think it's going to be at the end of the day, a very, very productive chat uh, for my audience. And it really was for myself as well. So I can't thank you enough for doing it. Thank you very much for having me. If you want to learn even more about how you can start your own fashion brand, make sure you follow me on YouTube at Esteban Julian. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Future of Fashion Business. Make sure you subscribe to listen to our future episodes.